0: Hello, everyone. Brian Gottlieb here. And- it's Hayden here. What's up, everybody? I'm Amy. I'm Hank. And we're at Goblin Reserve.
1: I'm Matt Rogers. i from PCG. I'm Craig Kremples. James White here, listening to the Instant Speed Podcast. This is the Instant Speed Podcast. You're listening to the Instant Speed
0: Podcast. Welcome to the Instant Speed Podcast. To welcome you to The Living Legend
1: Podcast. no nope, wrong podcast. What's the name of your podcast, Flake? Not Arsenal awesome Pass. You're listening to the Instant Speed Podcast. Easily the second best podcast for the flesh and blood game. Big shout out, hopefully Flakes found somebody other than me to be on it this time. Hit that like and subscribe button now.
0: Realm Games is the industry leader in both service and unique events in the TCG Arena. Whether it's running the largest community-run tournaments for Flush and Blood, or providing service with a generosity that is unique to the Realm Games, you can count on the Realm for an unforgettable experience. Check out their website at realmgamingnetwork.com for details about their $50,000 Flesh and Blood tournament circuit happening all across North America. But check out everything else going on at The Realm, including tournaments for all kinds of other experiences. And just for you ISP listeners, use the code INSTANT5, that's I N S T A N T 5 to get 5% off your checkout when you're buying from The Realm. Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the Instant Speed podcast. This is episode number 114 brought to you always by the brilliance that is the Realm Gaming Network. And I have brought with me, I have wrangled in, finally, the 2023 Caster of the Year. Also, I believe you lost uh, the Oscar race to, uh was it, who was it? Was uh, it Robert Downey Jr.?
1: Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, finally won
0: it. Uh, at I your expense. To, I had
1: to miss out, yeah. I mean, it had to be one of us, right?
0: It was a valiant effort, though. Like, congratulations. Thank you for that. But uh, the caster of the year also most recently being announced as part of the broadcast team for Pro Tour Los Angeles. It is Mitch Leslie, aka Uber. How are you, my friend?
1: Good. I'm glad to be back. I think last time I was on the show, it was like the some weird time. I was in Brisbane, I think, in like Visa hell, waiting for uh, getting a passport back. We managed to link up and chat then, so... I think we were talking about like the Goliath gauntlet. Like we were just starting to do that series on YouTube back then. So yeah, man, we've uh, come a long way. Fab content and productions come a long way. So uh, I'm yeah, I'm stoked to still be a part of the space, man. And, uh, and well, yeah, great introduction. But i have only the play-by-play cast of the year. So there are there is a color cast of the year as well. I can't take. I think both. Uh, I feel like categories.
0: Well, I mean, part of it I think is that this is something that you can definitely fill both roles in. And like, uh, for those who don't know, where have you been? But uh, Mitch Leslie, aka Uber, is probably the face, if not one of the the many amazing faces who were part of Overwatch League. And um, that, as an entity, unfortunately has kind of seen a little bit of an, a demise to the dismay of many. And we'll, we'll dig into a little bit about the, mm. the the nuts and bolts of that. I want to get to a giveaway first. Again, every episode, we give away $10 of store credit. Based on the previous episode, last episode, I said, hey, what does Flesh and Blood need to do to really establish itself and really continue that growth to achieve that quote-unquote, unicorn status. And I've got Mitch Noble, uh, ironically. That was no no uh, coincidence here. Mitch Noble is the winner of $10 of credit. So Mitch uh, says, as a new player that just started playing in January, honestly, a pre-con classic constructed deck that can be upgraded reasonably for people who want to get into armories would be huge. So Mitch, contact me uh, via Twitter or Discord or whatever, and I will hook you up. With a code for ten dollars of store credit at the dot courtesy of the Realm. So the business is done, Mitch. Let's get to number one caster of the year. That must be quite an accolade to to hang on to. Is that your? That's not your first, is it?
1: Uh, it is. Yeah, no, it is my first time winning the award. Uh, I think the esports awards has been around for like six or seven years, and it's really just like. Um, the only sort of like, I guess we, you know, a chance to acknowledge like other industry sort of battlers uh, in esports, especially there's like the game awards and there's, you know, things that cross over uh, a little bit into this space. But yeah, it's kind of nice to have um, an award show that like recognizes like great content creators, great, uh, you know, sort of tournament organizers, pieces of content, uh, people that work in like the support space. So like legal or agencies and stuff like that. And, yeah, they have, like, obviously a host category, play-by-play, and colour category as well. So, um, yeah, got it this year. I think I was nominated for that award for the last, including this year, it would have been five years, I think. So, yeah, it was always always nice, yeah. Like, uh, I I, I always appreciated the nod to even be, like, a finalist in that category. And, uh, yeah, finally winning this year. I just, I think at some point they are like, oh, we better better just give it to them and move on with our lives (laughs) at some point, so... It's- it was cool. I got up there and I gave a very long speech at uh yeah, put half the room to sleep, but they had to listen to me, so I made the most of it.
0: That's the beauty of it. Is like when they have to listen to you. I mean, let's yeah. just be real. There's a little bit of of, of amazingness. So you, you could have used that time to do anything. Yeah, frankly. And uh, the speech itself is is great. But I mean, now I said it
1: was great to have everybody here. So many like you know impressive industry figures. And now you all have to listen to me for five minutes to strap yourself in. Uh, Suck it I'm, exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. I would honestly just go up there and be like, "Here's what's wrong with Star Wars," and then just go, <laughs> just take that time. They can't do anything. You you now kind of add your name to the list of like like you said. Leonardo DiCaprio, Martin Scorsese, Meryl Streep, yep. those who had those long waits to win their well-earned awards, and you finally got it again. Well-earned. I've had the joy and privilege of being able to cast with you in in certain flesh and blood capacities, and I've watched you cast Overwatch. I I've cast Overwatch for a, a local Ontario league many years ago. It is not easy. It is absolutely a completely different beast when it comes to casting and before we talk a little bit about the similarities and the transition i have a question from darth prentice aka greg wants to know where the hell you get those incredible blazers they're fire he asks where where do you get them
1: uh i basically like go and look for the stores online that no sane person would shop from and (laughs) and then then buy it from them I I think it started because like my stylist at the Overwatch League just like went out on a limb once and got me a jacket that was pretty out there. And I like don't really wear this ridiculous like out there stuff in my daily life that kind of shatters an illusion some people have. I'm like a pretty basic guy, like, you know, like earthy tones and, you know, all that sort of jazz. But on the show, I just, I'm like, man, I'm talking about video games at the end of the day. So like as 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 long as I don't look like an utter clown, I'll just... You know i'll i have a bit of fun with my attire so a lot of my fire blazers are literally like just go on amazon and just search up like you know patterned men's pattern blazers like a ton of them are like from random like drop shippers in, in china or something uh asos is pretty good for this as well they have like a lot of nice shirts and stuff that i usually go for but yeah it's not like what you'd expect in like a uniqlo or h&m necessarily right they're a little bit out there but yeah, my, age, my uh, stylist rather helped me initially, and you know, I just started, oh, they'd they pop up because Alexa's always listening, you know. And, uh, yeah, I grab a couple extra ones here and there, but they're all from random places.
0: You can spend a decent amount to get, like, obviously a really well-made one. Um, I get mine from Timu or mm-hmm. AliExpress, and mm-hmm. frankly, half the gamble is not just, oh, will it show up? and be my size it's will it show up like that is
1: yeah, <laughs> or, yeah. or will it look like it's even Bingo. Like, advertised to? yeah I've i had a few like that i bought for
0: worlds barcelona a three pack of blazers i was like i want a nice kind of plaid print one i want a flashy gold one for like the the check presentation and another casual one i ordered three of them all the same size they all came in different sizes they all had medium written on them. Um, so I gave one to uh, like my little cousin. I was like, I was like, here, you're, I am not 80 pounds. You can wear this. I cannot. <laughs> and the other ones were like, it just felt like tissue paper. Like I, I'm yeah. like, this will disintegrate in the rain. But this is, that's the beauty of it, is that fashion is not about money. It's about what looks good on camera. <laughs> frankly.
1: I- I'm telling you. Yeah. Like most of these jackets are not high quality. It is not. No? They look they look I guess crazy and that might divert the eye from the fact that there are threads missing and stuff. But like everyone's like, Oh, how much was that jacket? I'm like, yeah, it was like forty bucks, man. Okay, oh, like, yeah. if if even is. yeah. It's just it's it is just a, a facade, really. It's like I, I, I could wear anything on this show, so I might as well wear something crazy. And like if you want those kind of patterns from like a proper reputable tailor, like I mean, you're spending thousands. Like no one in esports has got that kind of money, man. It's not.
0: So. I have to actually ask you. When it comes to the esports awards, this is the one thing. And again, uh, like uh, getting the awards is awesome, and and having the talent and such recognized. But it feels like when it when esports as a as a whole, it seems to just completely exclude the card gaming industry. Have you ever considered or or thought about why that is? Uh,
1: I thought about it quite a lot, actually, especially because um, you know, like. It, there are games that like, you know, in, in in esports that like even like chess for a while featured like every on Twitch, for example, is like, you know, a competition and they sort of dress it up in that way. But Magic only got the esports moniker when they started for the time they were using Arena, right, to to sort of play with. Um, no, I don't, I don't know if there's like a, a particularly good reason. I think it's pretty arbitrary. Probably has a lot to do with is it on a gaming console or on a PC, right? I think once that happens, like let's say, you know, god forbid i hope this doesn't happen but flesh and blood ever has a digital client like then you know you'd be right through the door you know it's like that meme of the guy with their glasses being like you know only only you know gaming sort of style competitions get to enter this door or whatever um i i've always felt like there's been pretty limited crossover and the people that do card games even the tournament organizers that run card games they don't really cross over into esports because i think like Logistically, right, running events, like there's a big difference between the two of them, right? I've seen the nuts and bolts of like how your SCGs and your play TCGs run events or, yeah. or struggle to run events, as that may be the case. Uh, and then and esports. So it's pretty arbitrary though. Um the format and formula has to change a lot. And also like the viewing experience is apples to oranges as well. Um, like one thing I've really struggled with is like presenting TCGs as a viewer a viewing experience you know in the kind of way we did it with, with eSports and in TCGs you don't have the same level of star building I think as well with the individuals, um, whereas eSports is more like positioned as an entertainment product um, and positioned as often as a marketing expense for said game where I don't really think that comp- like comp- like organized play in like flesh and blood for example, is really such a marketing expense I think that if they had a marketing budget they would probably take that elsewhere um into like a lot of like the 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 content that you see them partner with right like uh, LSS partner with for example like going into an RTN or like the gauntlet series that they sort of do right sure so it might just be a difference in in business model as well
0: that's fair um yeah i thought that it's just comes down to like the same reason why we can't have a like flesh and blood category let's say on twitch for so long or whatever it's just like well it's not a not downloadable video game. video game exactly
1: um but there's literally chess like you there's the category for chess on twitch so like there's not a good excuse for I, yeah.
0: uh, me and we twitch, have it now
1: we have a fab category. we do it
0: took a while yeah. obviously but that is something that we've been lobbying for for a long time i'm glad it finally made its uh made its appearance. But, um, you know, talking about quality of clothing, and it doesn't necessarily will reflect the quality of the broadcaster, of which you are one of the best. But one of the things that I want to reach upon here is the fact that some people might consider the fact that if you are a caster, you should be a pro player. That is something that is, um, you know, it's not an outlandish thing to think about. But at the same time, I mean, I have my opinions on this, but I want to hear yours. The, the the whole mantra that if you're going to be at the casting desk, you should at least be a, a pro-qualified player.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is something I think that came up. Uh, I'm a pretty avid podcast listener in Flesh and Blood, uh, whether it's like ISP or like the, the, the Mana podcast, and also Arsenal Pass. And it's something that I think uh, came to my attention, I think, when Brendan Patrick spoke at length, sort of feeling that, um, yeah, he and he always qualified this as his opinion. Um, that he felt that the best flesh and blood casting was a product of two sort of pro players that were able to articulate themselves to some degree. That was what he preferred. He's also probably the most particular person I've ever encountered, right? So, like there there, there is a grain of salt uh to be taken there. But I, I, I think I understand his his reasoning. Um in, in in eSports in general, and I think this is carried over to Flesh and Blood to a fair degree now as well, you have different roles uh, on a broadcast, right? You have a play-by-play caster, like you and I, generally, and you have a colour commentator uh, who, who tends to deal with different aspects. And I break it down, I break the roles down into like the who, what, why, how, and when, right? Um, for me, like the play-by-play casters deal a lot with like the who and what. The colour commentator deals with the how, uh, the how... Um, the why and the when, as in like looking ahead and trying to understand implications of one turn cycle to the other and how the game can be affected by individual sort of exchanges. Um, I've always felt more comfortable in that demarcation because it allows me to really focus on polishing those aspects of my casting, i.e. like the, the play-by-play side of it. Um, but I think one, people, one thing people often miss is that play-by-play caster is also a facilitator for the color commentator. And games like Flesh and Blood, Valorant even to some degree as well, there are a lot of games where it's more color or analysis heavy. It can be more in the weeds. Um, it's really important to be able to set up your expert to hit home runs regularly. And it's not just your job to make them sound smart, but it's your job to really make sure that you've got them really well positioned. You're able to you know, be part of the conversation and, and sort of um, you know, guide things in a way that while it satisfies the the experts' need to impart information, it also allows you to package that information in a way that's accessible. And a lot of the time, pros or experts don't necessarily have an eye or an ear for making a broadcast accessible because you know, with at one side of their mouth, people are often saying we need flesh and blood to be more accessible and less barriers to entry. And we've talked about how that works in product and in, in organized play and all that sort of stuff. I think the broadcast is is a huge part of that. And a uh, great examples like Michael Fang and Brody Sparelock are very, uh, I've done a great job, I think, of just coming and casting and it's very much a conversation, but it is a, a podcast. Like it feels like a more, more of a podcast in that way, right? It's also being This is also being positioned as an entertainment product, right? Organized play broadcasts to some degree, market the game at the top level to try and create this aspirational thing that that people want to get a part of because they, they're they seeing these players on on stream becoming stars, becoming, uh, not deified, but almost, you know, like become figures of legend through their achievements and exploits of flesh and blood. And a big part of that hinges on how the broadcast portrays them or rather allows them to portray themselves faithfully. Um so I, I think that like a play-by-play commentator, I think this is the crux of the issue. A play-by-play commentator should be well-versed in the game. They should understand the game. There shouldn't really be you know, too much that they can't delve into. But their job is to make sure that color caster really gets to, in an expedient fashion, dig into the most important moments that are occurring uh, throughout a turn cycle uh, and in those moments. There are different kinds of pairings. You can have a hybrid style cast, which is probably closer to what Spurlock and Feng have been doing where they're just sort of back and forth and and communicating, which is fine, but sometimes you're not setting each other up necessarily. It's just a conversation. And personally, if we're going to use personal preference, I really like to see, you know, a play-to-play commentator really keep a good rein on the flow of the show, make sure we are hitting uh, a lot of things, but crucially establishing board state regularly or re-establishing board state and re-establishing the stakes of a turn or turn cycle or a match or anything like that, bringing the show in, dealing with the brackets and generally being entertaining. But more importantly, setting up that color commentator to also be able to be entertaining because historically, a lot of pros... Don't necessarily get onto a broadcast with an eye for an, the entertainment side. That they are there to di- divulge their expertise, but rarely uh, are they necessarily able to snap straight into being extremely entertaining or extremely like mindful of how the flow of the show works. So, I've always felt you've needed both those components. Um, maybe there are pros that start casting, realize they like doing the play-by-play stuff. And go in that direction, and then yeah, you, you know that's great. But no, I don't think casters should be pros. I do think that at least one of the commentators should basically not miss a beat, right? Based on what's happening in the game, and if they have a, a lot of matchup experience, then that that goes a long way as well.
0: The the way that I kind of explain it is like everybody loves the home run derby because they're there watching, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. smash thirty home runs, and it's so exciting, and everyone's cheering, and everybody loves it, but. There's a lot that has to be put on the dude who's throwing that pitch in the same spot right down the pipe for him to smash it out of the park to make that dude look great. And that is kind of like in the way that, you know, there's so many different ways that you can look at the the, the casting and the duos. Because when we get hired for these things, oftentimes, especially for Flesh and Blood, is that there are very strict guidelines given to, all right, Flake, you are play-by-play that's what you're doing and if you stray too far from that we will remind you to stay in that lane and sometimes depending on the level of the event be it a pq if i'm doing something for min max or realm they give us a lot more rain to make it entertaining and to just kind of have a good time because at the same time we're doing like 10 rounds in a day and we're having fun with it the stakes are relatively low for like a pro quest so we can have more fun with it but when it's something of the stakes of a calling a battle hard nationals whatever there there are strict guidelines and for me, as a play-by-play, like you said, uh, like do I need to be a pro to set my to set my partner up for? Why is he arsenaling Aether Wildfire instead of playing it? Like that's the softball, and then they'll get into the nuts and bolts and all the weeds surrounding it, and give the 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 the, the whoever's watching a lot more insight into it. But if I don't ask that question, they're not gonna oftentimes dive into it. And I'm not saying that obviously. That's a very simple and obvious thing it's like obviously they're gonna pocket that card but why are they pocketing you know this card versus this card or that or why did they not arsenal at all why did they hold on to this card like those are questions that need to be asked and like the way that i kind of explain it to some people also is like imagine that you're dating someone new and you're bringing them to a party of all your friends are you going to rely on them to know everybody and know all the backstory and do all make all the introductions are you going to hold their hand and say this is This is Jim. Jim uh, also likes this band and like you set that up so that that conversation is a little bit more flowing and you kind of get them at ease where then they can sort of you're kind of walking the viewer through some of the very basic aspects of it so that they become more comfortable. And like one of the criticisms that we'll get is, like you said, the reset, the let's reestablish what the stakes are of this particular turn. These are the this is the this is what's in Arsenal. This is how much is floating. This is what he has in hand. Now they're contemplating this block. Why is it such a difficult decision? Color commentator comes in and adds the stakes to that particular play. But the professional part of it, it's like, dude, I'm like if I was a pro, I'd be out there competing for way more money than we're making, you know? Like that's just the reality of it. Like that is absolutely part of it. Should I know what the hell's going on at a high level? Absolutely. That's why I practice. That's why I stay in touch with things. But the professional aspect of it, that's tough, man. Like that I don't think that I think that's way too high of a of a threshold to to, to get.
1: I think that like everyone has something different that they want out of the broadcast, I think. Um, a lot of people do. What I tend to try and do is just orient myself from the standpoint of trying to be as broadly effective as possible, because you cannot please everybody. Because like like a lot of pros, like I think <laughs> Brendan mentioned this as well. They might just, might just mute the stream when they watch it. They just prefer to watch it with the mute stream. I don't take that personally, but I'm not going to fucking try and appeal to him. Then am I? Like I've I've got to think about the you know the people that are watching and like how can I effectively encapsulate. Uh, this is something I think that I strive to do. I think it's something you know you work on. I think it's something like like Sam O'Byrne, for example is very effective at doing. Um, I don't like. You know, and I played I played a game with Sam recently, actually, uh, you know, and like neither, neither of us are experts on Flesh and Blood. He would never admit to being a pro-level player of Flesh and Blood uh, or, or an expert, uh, nor would I. Um, but we're passionate about the competition and we're also passionate about making a good show. And I think that's something that gets overlooked a lot of the time, especially when card games are notoriously so difficult to portray in that way. Like, it is hard to get people watching. And I would argue... I would suggest that the average viewer retention rate of like a flesh and blood tournament is vastly less than that of, of less than that of esports especially given the age range of people that sort of use the platforms that this content is on like twitch and youtube like if you don't grab someone like straight away it is tough i'm sorry like there is a reason why um you know vct gets you know peak concurrence like 500 000, and, you know, Flesh and Blood, we, we, we struggle obviously to make 10% of that. It's not only because the game is less well-known, it's also because it's just harder to like create compelling broadcasts sometimes when you are in in paper, right? Yeah, that's just the way it goes. Um, but you can do so much in that regard. You can be a podcast, right? But there are like 12 podcasts all with their own tier lists every week in Flesh and Blood. Like if I want those, I will literally go and listen to them. And I do. But when I'm watching a, a top tier event, I I want to be entertained. I want to be, you know, I want the gravity of a situation to be conveyed to be effectively every single time. Um, I want the people I'm listening to to be entertaining. Like I want, like, I want to listen to people that are relatable and entertaining. That's what I like alongside my esports broadcasts. And like, you think back to like the Magic the Gathering days of old. Um, Sorry, I I thought Raymond Bueller and Marshall Sutcliffe, very good broadcasters, very professional. But the only people that love that shit are the ones that are fucking yearning for the Halcyon era of Magic, right? If you get people now, the people that watch like more mainstream esports broadcasts, and you put in front of them like you know a Pro Tour from 2012 or whatever like that, they're not going to like it. They might play. <laughs> they might play Commander casually, right? That might be their one link to Magic, and they want to see. Wow, well, what you know? They don't give a shit about the history of MTG. They want to be entertained. You see, that was evidenced in the way the and the magic broadcast evolved as well, like the why they sort of tried to unclutter the board a little bit, like, you know, the the sort of top, you know, like I guess like, you know, the north and south orientation of the players, you know, and I, I honestly think that, and it's sad now with people like Paul Cheon getting fucking laid off, um, I think they were barely scratching the surface in what they could do with their coverage. You know what I mean? They could go so much further than that. Like card games are sorry, they're so far behind in terms of creating that entertaining product. And a big part of that is is the casting, like like a I don't know. a lot of us like come in, come into, you know, flesh and blood casting, and realize, okay, like this is it's less resourced than for, for example, than esports, which is fine. Um, the days are a lot longer. Uh, I think the lab, it's much more labor intensive. Um, but we care about creating a great show. We're gonna do it. We're not gonna complain because we, we love it, we care about this game. That's that's why I do it. And the first thing I did, Flake, when I got into Flesh and Blood is I went and looked at the fucking Calling Orlando. I wanted to know what the pros were doing immediately. I didn't want to just like buy a booster, explore it, you know, smell the card stock. No, I wanted to see immediately what the very best players were doing and try and understand the game from that angle. So that's me, a prospective viewer. Luckily, I can tolerate casting that is maybe not what I'm used to or, you know, not at the certain standard that I might expect or whatever, you know what I mean? So I... Suffered through getting my ass beat at Armouries for three months and and through casting that I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand it because I was interested enough and the game was compelling enough. I think that it sort of kept me there. So we want to grow this game and we, we're, we're talking about growth a lot in Flesh and Blood. The broadcast is a part of it. It will, if not already, become a crucial arm of their marketing strategy.
0: All right, so I have so much to sort of... I, I want to dig into this. I'm actually just going to toss the fucking notes away because there's a lot yeah. of good things that I want to discuss here. And the first one is uh, that I want to touch upon before we get to improving the broadcast and such. For, for me, what I want to ask you first and foremost is, is, like you said, this is just... Th- pro tour itself like the 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 pro tour the pro circuit the organized play frankly is just a giant commercial to a degree for the game it entices people to get into it and it explores the fact that yeah you can make money like there, your efforts will be rewarded it's not just your efforts of buying the cards it's more it's practicing getting good at it that that is part of it but at the same time a broadcast, the tournament circuit, people are going to look at this who are not pros and wonder, or, or who are just casuals, look at it and and decide then and there like you said it's like i'm watching this i don't even know if i like it yet because i'm watching it and i still don't understand and so let me ask you this is a is a broadcast from a tournament perspective for example pro tour la do you think Pro tour la is more of a conduit for new players to recommit or double down on a game or 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 dig deeper into it or is it for the pros for those who are already already just completely bought into it and it can be both but for one or the other it has to be more than the other i don't think it's an easy 50 50 split here
1: the pros are going to be there they're not watching the damn stream they're playing in the pro tour they're playing they're there you know what i mean i i i think especially at a time right now i don't know what the strategy is over at lss i mean they're doing fantastically as a company and they're growing and i imagine what they're their biggest challenge now just looking at their trajectory is scaling to meet demand and to meet the growth of interest in this game which is a good problem to have right and yes I think that the broadcast is a part of their marketing strategy and organized players to some degree I think you need to offer that to your current players right Um, to keep them invested in the game Um, the place that organized play holds for like prospective and newcomer players maybe not so much you get them involved at the at the armory level, right? Less at like the, the calling and battle hardened tier one and above events. So there's probably a different aspiration there. I think flesh and blood coverage is for everyone. It's it it, it is for everyone. It's not for the pros. It's also not for the newcomers uh, entirely. It has to be for everyone, and that is the real challenge about broadcasting and showcasing this game, because. I just haven't found anyone who's been able to convince me that I should really focus on a specific subset of my audience only. Now, if I know what the audience is, I can craft a strategy to try and cast the net as wide as possible. I genuinely think that is why I managed to be, be nominated as Play-for-Play Play cast of the year because I've always cared very much about making what I do as accessible to everyone as possible of all levels. Like not everything I say will be for the pro. Not everything I say will be for the newcomer either. You are. You might. I do think you have to serve these 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 different subgroups of your your viewership and and try and do it as evenly as possible. I've had so much criticism from pro players about how I've dumbed down my casting, and I mean this. I've dumbed it down. Like, do, could I could I be in the weeds, and and could I you know really hyper fixate on a very certain subsection of the game? Yes, in fact, I do every time I get a Dorinthia game, right? But. You know, that's 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 not the point. It's also the play by play commentator's job is to really unpack a lot of what the expert is ideating on, right? Um I the number of times i some people may just maybe don't believe this, but the number of times I've asked a question to my co-caster that I already know the answer to, yeah, <laughs> is, is staggering because I want them to talk about something. Because I and my eye for the show have said, Hey, this is a great chance to reiterate this or establish this point or bring it back up again. So I'm going to ask this question. I know what the answer is. Or, or it'll be something open as, as open as like, how do you, let, let's say, let's use an example, a, ta- a player's attacking, right? It's an attack with a non-hit. I will literally go, how do you most efficiently block this out while well, maintaining as much tempo as possible, right? Even though I can see like the equips are on board, I know they've got to dereact an arsenal or whatever, right? And maybe my color caster would find their way there naturally straight away, right? Then that's just chemistry, and that's what you love to see. And I don't have to take the extra step. Um, but I think if you don't have, I, I think if you don't have a mindset that your broadcast should be for everybody, then you've just adopted a position that's antithetical to growth. So it just won't hundred percent serve every subset, right? The pros might mute the broadcast. That's fucking. Okay, that is that is, yeah. that is fine, seriously. Newcomers might be confused at times. That's okay because hopefully it fosters an inquisitive urge in them like it did for me watching Tarik Patel play Cheerios Briar and just like what the fuck is going on and I wanted to learn about that and understand what was going on. I'm the kind of personality that like isn't daunted by something I don't understand. That's why I was happy to get, you know, slapped around at Fab for months before I got my first win. There's, there's so many people have had to do because of how hard the damn game is.
0: Well, part of it is that people ask me, like, oh, did you see this in chat? I'm like, I don't read chat because chat is going to eviscerate me. Expand from my I never, exactly, I never watch it. And people who put up, like I've been in the booth where somebody will have it on their phone and they're reading it. I'm like, do not, I'm like, get that out of here. I said, that should not influence what you're doing. But you're right because part of it is like, when you'll ask a question, you'll tee up this gigantic freaking beach ball for them to hit. And you're like, People will be like, does he honestly not know? No, I know you freaking donkeys. I absolutely know that Snatch will draw a card on hit. So when you're when I ask why is this an important card to block here, I'm not it's not because I'm a I'm a freaking pylon. I mean, yeah.
1: yeah. this pummel, you do discard the pummel, you know? That's yeah. what that card does. Well, But I might pretend unless you're I might in the be UK. From the UK. Yeah. I might pretend <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that happens. But hey, I my color caster is there then they'll be able to fill that gap in, and everybody will know just how the card operates.
0: Yes. In the same way that you need to explain to a chess player what, like, castling is, you can also, you you know, you need to be prepared to explain what a Sicilian defense is. It's two completely different levels, but that's who's watching it. It's everybody. And then the one person who's just like, oh, like, he's too dumb. Like, I'm not casting to you specifically. I'm not sitting you down. You're not on my podcast. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to everybody and there's a completely different dynamic that you have to approach
1: you have to spend some time being entertaining as well like more now than ever especially with like more of the the zoomer generation that is getting involved in esports i've noticed this trend drastically you ever wonder why co-streaming is is so huge in esports right now for those that don't know co-streaming is when you have an esports event and uh, a big streamer like tarik for example is who's a a sort of valorant streamer he will just restream the games and he will have his camera there and he'll just talk and you know what he'll do? He'll just be like, oh yes," yeah, he'll just react, right? People, like, the majority of Valorant's esports viewership comes from those streams because people are, are they love the competition, they love competitive Valorant, but more than anything, they want to fucking connect and relate to someone. They don't want to be fed this by someone in a fucking buttoned up suit, giving them lines that Hasbro told them to give them. They want their streamer, the one that they're there every day. Like they've seen the good, the bad, the ugly, like they know they're not being fed anything, you know, pre-prepared or anything that's laden with subliminal marketing, right? They trust and authenticity is more and more what these people are looking for, right? Especially people from those generations. Millennials, we had this issue We're we're going down the rabbit hole now. We're we're right in there, yeah. The way we used social media is that we used it to project an image of ourselves that was more affluent, more healthy, more active, more learned than we actually were, right? That's how we understood how social media should be used. Generations coming up now have actually bucked this trend entirely, and on the internet, they crave authenticity. They crave genuine connection. They're sick of being fed either like this nonsense from like you know uh you know a 1991 kid's instagram right where he only puts the fancy ass photos they want to see xqc in his bedroom with towers of fusty pizza boxes in the background because he doesn't clean his room just completely unhinged and being out of unable to contain like the inside voice that he has for better or for worse and often it's the latter, right that's what people are interested that's why react content so st- good lately as well that's why it pops off so much because people want to see genuine reaction they 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 that's what they want so to reconcile this idea with the way that we do esports broadcast the only reasonable corollary is that we have to find a way to be more accessible authentic and ourselves and a big part of that is in how you cast it's in how you entertain right it's not about you know like it's you don't want to take yourself too seriously you don't want to cling to closely to this idea of dignity and and, and taking yourself to, like, exactly taking yourself too seriously because that turns people off people don't want that people don't even want a overproduced fancy broadcast with a jib cam and a spider going over an ar they don't care they want to connect with players casters other fans people want connection you have to find a way to to give them that and i think that's going to be a part of growing flesh and blood's game but it's also baked into the core ethos flake because this is a game you play in person with other people in the flesh and blood. It is, this is a game that is about connection. So we have to emulate that on the broadcast to some degree.
0: You're spot on. I mean, there's the one thing that I, I've, whenever somebody would relate to me a moment of something that I have said or casted regarding that they, that just resonates with them or something that they've really adhered to or connected with, it was never about me saying, like, oh, I think this is the play. I like, you have these like, these 4D chess premonitions of what's good, what they're up to. It's not about, predicting what the play pattern is going to be. It's more so about, oh, you said this funny thing or you made this fun connection or you made this or you really said something that resonates or you, you had a call back that was really relevant and it was just great. Like that kind of aspect. The, the best, honestly, and I say this with without any kind of, of, you know, this is full genuine me right here. The best compliment that I ever get is when somebody says that who I am In person is who they who they see on the camera and i said that Mm -hmm. is that is who i am i said because no matter what if i want a long career i'm gonna get tired pretending to be somebody and you know like the same in the same vein that you know like dr disrespect has a very attractive and very appealing character that he plays that's not who he is it's just who he portrays and like and that that's hard to keep up that is incredibly hard to keep up. Trust me, if I'm making millions of dollars, fuck it, I'll wake up every morning and put... It's hard for him even to keep up, man. For yeah. sure, but that's the thing. And like that's when people are, how do, you, how do you do 10 hours of casting in a row and maintain that energy? Because I'm not expending any of it to being fake or playing a role. And that's kind of part of, of why maybe I have had some success in this and why that people might like my broadcast. And trust me, there's a lot who don't. And that's fine. And that's why there's you know five or six of us on a major event to make this happen i'm not not for everybody and i don't want to be i that's Mm -hmm. not that's not the mission um that said going from fps and the fast-paced action of something like overwatch to this there's there are there's i mean we've discussed this in the past but i want to ask you moving into pro tour la now there's going to be a lot more time to break things down and think about things. And because when you're playing Overwatch, there's team fights and you're going a mile a minute to just really capture everything and all the all things at once. It's this helmet fire of information that you have to sift through to essentially draw the lines of what is going on for somebody yeah. else to sort of paint the picture. And then the fight's over and there's a regroup phase and everybody's gotta, you've got maybe another 30 seconds before you actually have to get back to mile a minute. This is not the same thing. This is kind mm-hmm. of a, a consistent pace. How do you manage that transition? And what do you take from Overwatch and 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 that fast-paced action into something like casting Flesh and Blood?
1: Uh, I mean, that's a, yeah, it's a fair question. I think they're, they're, they're really different. And I, I don't think I was particularly great when I first jumped into FAB as, as a result of that. Like, there are just some habits that you have to kill pretty quickly. Um, Overwatch... Yeah, he's very fast-paced and you have to very quickly assess a situation. So basically, as the game's going, what you have to do is like keep an eye on the game state, right? Like there's, there's a lot of kills happening, but at any time you need to be able to say who's winning, who's losing, and like what the most important events have happened in the last five seconds or so. Um, So there has to be, there is some degree of like cognitive uh gymnastics that goes on, I guess, to avoid the buzzword where you need to, yeah, very quickly make... Assessments to some degree that happens in flesh and blood as well. Um, because you will have to very quickly understand like where a turn is going, right? If you see a player's hand, or even if you do, a lot of time, you don't. So, like, in when you can't see a player's hand in fab, you have to react pretty quickly. But if I see like a guardian open with zealous, right, I have a decent idea if they're on the four card end or, or whatever, like where they're going with this, or um, guardian presents CNC with you know, uh, a floating tunic counter up, for example. Um, uh, so you have to very quickly know what is going on and be able to uh, like establish the next five or six things that might happen uh, in this turn and how a player might respond. So um, that al- that element, although it's far less visible, right? Because it's extremely internal, is really important. There's some math you have to do, right? Like Kano games, for example, like you need to... Because you have to very quickly tell the audience whether someone is is it liable to die that turn. And it's not just what Kano is presenting. It's also... If you can't see their opponent's hand, you need to assume they're all blues and then you need to basically say the range that they can actually block here with Arcane Barrier, right? And at what point in the wildfire chain it has to occur, for example. I've missed Lethal on Kano games multiple times. Um, at, at a high level in FAB, sometimes players don't always execute their game actions for, when they're playing. Or they actually sort of talk about it. So I had some tough games uh, at like AGE events. I think like a battle hard in LA where the players actually just talked out their end game and didn't actually represent it on board. So we actually got the wrong winner because we didn't see how that played out. Um and again like the what I try and do a lot is like play off of what my co-commentator is saying so that's really much the same right uh whether it's like wordplay play or with what they've said or trying to make sure I'm leading him in, in in the right direction these are these are things that I did a lot in Overwatch but in many senses it's a completely new skill set that I'm exploring. Um because I have to like my baseline level Tone, pace, volume is much lower. It just is because it's not appropriate to cast it like Overwatch, right? You need to find something new and that honestly, it took a while to find like a, a good sort of medium to sort of exist in while still being able to like, you know, get excited about some things uh, or, or, you know, or joke around or you'll be able to react quickly. So each game I've cast has always been so different from the other. I think like the vast majority of them like now casting Valorant it's very different from Overwatch as well. So... They've all been a great chance to build out a new part of my skill set as a commentator. No two have really been the same and they've all required a fair bit of work to get started with, right? Like to sort of establish myself and understand like what my baseline is supposed to be.
0: That makes sense. Like the way that I've kind of figured, like obviously the pace is going to be different because there's, like you said, you only really live in these five second brackets where if you you cannot go too far back because you're going to miss what the hell's happening and mm-hmm. there are some of those important those important uh um scenarios for example like if i were to use a, an overwatch example for those of you who might understand this if if you know if roadhog's going is, is ulting and you know soldier has his visor going and everything it's like there's so much chaos but the, the out of all that maelstrom if the mer if if you get the enemy mercy and that's the important part it's like we got the like that's like that's the part part that you have to pull out and really hammer down is like this is the important part of what of all this chaos that's going on in the same regard of like you know they they missed this draw off the top. they Or like they're, you know, like something that seems so innocuous that actually has so much more importance. Like they they drew a card and discarded. Yeah, they got the go again off Wild Ride, but they drew a red and discarded the blue and now their whole turn is mucked. It's like the all the focus is on the fact that Wild Ride has go again, but nobody's thinking about the fact that the rest of the turn went from like a 10 power to a three power follow-up, you know, something like that. Yes, And, and that, that's going to
1: be tricky as well because now like Clash, you have to very quickly read the top card. Oh god! And you have to have them memorize what what the power is. Yeah, um,
0: I've already spoken so. to like production, and and I think I spoke to Ethan, and I said, listen, every time that there's a a, a deck players that are playing Clash, please ask them to when they clash to put their cards in the middle next to each other so that we can yeah. at least get a, an idea. And I think that that's just habit, and, and I hope that that's what's going on there. But that goes down to the production value of all these things. That's and, true. Yeah. And I completely believe that for all the amazing work that Ethan's doing, who's really upping the game for for production on these things, there's still so much to do, but a lot of it has to do with resource opportunity and the fact that literally there's like two or three different entities that are all holding hands to make sure that you can achieve that there's the people the tos that are putting it on like SEG or whatever there is lss who's funding a lot of it and has the directive or the direction in their mind of where they want to go and then there's the people that execute on it like you and i or whatever i have so many ideas that i've wanted to see happen there's so much cool cool shit you can do to really bring it to the next level, I just feel like sometimes it just feels like you're knocking your head against the wall because you're like you like you know it'd be really fucking badass if you had a, uh, um, an arsenal cam like you got it's gonna take some time, take some money like that's cool, but how about oh, we
1: get all the cards RFID chipped? You know what I mean?
0: Well, so that's we just... yeah, oh,
1: shit, so it's it's complicated. Th- yeah. It's
0: certainly complicated. Obviously, that's like way over the top, but like, why don't we have more? focus on the players why don't we have more focus on this because in reality the players are the ones and we are blessed as as odd as this may sound flesh and blood is blessed with a lot of people who have personality and aren't afraid to show it and i'm not just talking about like the mara farises of the world or like the fact that brody spurlock is is such a jovial person but there are people who have who want to play the role like matt folks let's say or whatnot. they're not they want to
1: express themselves he was born in the role, but Fuck yeah, I mean, he was. You gotta, you gotta get down to SoCal, man, for an AGE because uh, that room is full of K. Car- Even Tyler Horspool, by the way, who obviously really? no, I don't want to call him, Tyler uh, adopted this persona at AGE events where he wears aviator sunglasses and he he shit talks everybody.
0: What a badass! Yep. I'm just, talking uh, about, <laughs> like, we're talking about uh, is this uh, like the w- calling Las Vegas winner like way back when 2021,
1: right. dude. Yeah.
0: He is he's such a cool
1: teacher and like the nicest guy. That's what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: The, the soft spoken, kind. I've spoken to him dozens of times. He's always just such a, a kind person. I would love to see him just go full Maverick and just he absolutely is. Oh my God.
1: Like I pulled him out for an interview and I was like, Alright, so tell us about this fire turn. You know what I mean? I think it was like a Fire Levi matchup. And there was a there was a flesh bag, a really important flesh bag used. He just leaned back, me he's like. I shit, and he looks out. The, he looks out the window and looks at the guys. Like oh shit. Don't worry about it. Just like, just hammed up the entire interview the entire time. So, people, people in Fab in general, but yeah, absolutely in SoCal, are willing to have a lot of fun with it as well. They, That's you know, we got a good vibe out there. Fuck so. yes,
0: absolutely. Like, I'll give me more Sam Dando's. Uh, like mm-hmm. talking shit at the table and making that happen. It's all in good fun. But, um, anyways, that said, let's let's talk a little bit more about. Being a great caster because Erica Forslov, who is a, a phenomenal player, phenomenal person, and great caster herself, was on the desk at uh, in Barcelona, and yeah. uh, you know she did an exceptional job. But again, everybody strives to improve, and you are somebody who a lot of people look up to as as really a, a just a, a pinnacle of what they want to achieve. And so, t- give us some tips. Let's say mm. some right out of the the bag of Mitch Leslie.
1: Yeah, my my first tip is like. Work on your fundamentals until you don't have to think about them anymore, right? And that is like, you know, a pace, your speaking tone, your your volume, right? Reestablishing game state, welcoming in, and you know, farewelling from the broadcast. Making sure you uh, you address on-screen graphics adequately. Get that stuff nailed down, and then, for the love of God, just go and be yourself. Go and be yourself when you don't have to think anymore about like how to speak, so to you know, so to speak. Um, and you'll be golden. Like It took me a long time to do this, it took like three or four years, I think as a professional, and I was a hobbyist caster for like three or four years before that. Um, and immediately the impact was was felt. I was All of a sudden I was just, I stopped being afraid to just say the kind of things that I would normally say, right? Kind of what you talked about, Flake. And it's a compliment to be told you're similar on broadcast as you are in person. That makes a great caster, someone that you can relate to, that also, I, in my opinion, like upholds um, the structure of, of a broadcast really important that you have chemistry with your co-commentator because it's great to be a good individual caster it's way better to be a great caster team you are almost always more than the sum of your parts if you can have great chemistry uh and that's what you know that's what people remember right they might sometimes remember individual casters but almost always experience as a result of the two of them because great casting is an extension of a conversation you would have with your friend your co-cast on an average day where the third person is the audience that is able to be involved. It's a, it's a, it can be an intimate experience for them, and one that really increases not only their knowledge about the game, but their, their interest and their passion for it. Um, yeah, and f- f- like lastly, I think like just be careful of being uh, self-indulgent. Um, sometimes like casting is fun because you get to be on camera and it's your voice that goes along with the game, and some people can sort of lose sight sometimes, especially when they're starting out of why they're there. My 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 two golden rules about casting, um, and I think I shared it to Mo Bogsley actually, who sort of uh, tweeted, I think it was casting and something. Um, uh, and I sort of gave him the advice. I said, rule number one is it's not about you. Uh, and rule number two is it's really fucking not about you. Yeah, <laughs> It's just not, it's not to find a fine way to be yourself without making it about yourself and you're golden.
0: I think that one of the cringiest things sometimes when I see people is like when they'll, They'll they're speaking to they'll be broadcasting, but they'll be speaking to their chat. It's like the the same inside jokes, the same this. It's like meanwhile there's nine hundred things that are going on.
1: Inside jokes on broadcast and the in podcast. Worst. I'm looking at you, Arsenal pass. I'm looking at you. Don't do it or explain them, please. It's you want to be accessible. That is the literal opposite way of doing it. It's literally like those stupid clicks you had in high school where they use a, a slang word you don't understand. You know what I mean? You just can't you can't relate. Reach. Inside jokes are great to have. Right, but if your audience doesn't understand them, they are they are an active detriment to what you're probably trying to achieve with your content.
0: I am lucky enough that uh, to me, the one of the symptoms of a good pairing is that after the whole thing is said and done, you still want to hang out with the person. You still want to talk to them. You still mm-hmm. want to engage with them. And I'm lucky enough that for me, that's Steven Cookis, That's DM Armada. Him and I have worked yeah. together in so many capacities of working 10 to 12 hours straight away. And that's a chemistry. Like you said, that was a chemistry that we had to develop because yeah, and it's it's like it's work like anything else. You kinda of feel each other out and you know that it's like, damn, I really wanna say this thing because I know it's gonna be it's gonna be a solid eight on ten. But if I say that, I'm taken away from an opportunity of my partner to say something that's a nine on ten so yeah Yeah. it's like i'm gonna i'm gonna just forgo this and by the time it gets back to me it's probably not relevant anymore you let it go like the amount of cool shit that you want to say that you just fucking let pass and dissipate into the ether because it's no longer relevant that's another thing is like you said it's not about you and that's something that you know i constantly try to work on and whatnot but again sometimes you every time
1: i've gotten greedy and two horned one of those things in it is always, 100% of the time, like 10 out of 10 times made the cast worse off as a result. If you miss the time, then so be it. You you sharpen all of your spears, but you don't bring all of them into fucking battle, do you? You know what I mean? Like, you use it on the next time this situation comes around. That's fine. But yeah, the, the timing is... I like that. A huge part of comedy. I really,
0: yeah. I really like that. Uh Shit. Well, there's so you know what. All right, there. I had some fun things I want to do here, but we're gonna be pre- we're, we're kind of humping the clock here. So I'm gonna ask you this because again, coming from Flesh and Blood to um, or coming to Flesh and Blood from uh, Overwatch, a lot of the times there's just some terminology. Like for example, I gave a wedding speech where I talk I talked. To my buddy who was a card game player, and yeah. I mentioned that his wife was the top deck of his life because he was in he was in a bad rut of bad girlfriends and whatever, and he found he top decked the right one. But again, a lot of people didn't know what it was, so I had to get to, to kind of talk about it. There's some terminology that comes from Overwatch or FPS or objective-based things that might not work in Flesh and Blood, but I'm going to yes. make you do it. I'm going to test your, okay. your, right. your gumption here. So here it is, Mitch Leslie, if that's your real name. Use these terms in a Flesh and Blood-related cast or, or, or saying. You ready? Here okay. We go. This one's a very easy one. One trick.
1: Oh, Ethan Van Sant. Is yeah. a one trick, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, One tricks tricks. in Fab everywhere. I'm a fucking one trick, I think. You uh, are. You, you are. Yeah, we, <laughs> we have so many of those. Yeah. Well, but we, we, we're we much nicer about it in Fab. We call them specialists. But sure. you know who yeah. you are. You're yeah. out there.
0: No, no, no. One tricks call themselves specialists. Everyone else call them one tricks. <laughs> That's true. Uh, so a one trick is basically somebody who plays... One hero, ninety nine percent of the time, pretty much. Yeah. All right. Pretty much, yeah. Use this term and explain it, uh, like use it so that we understand what it means in in a flush and blood. Last push, best push.
1: Oh, it's a fatigue matchup, and someone throws last ditch effort and wins the game, like that fucker did to me at Armory like a few weeks ago on Bravo. Yeah, that's what that that's what that feels like to me. Oh, like down but not out now. When you satisfy all the conditions, that feels like last push, best push, right? I like it. Yep, yeah.
0: I, I dig it. All right, here's one. Feeding or inting.
1: <laughs> Do you remember the copy pastor? Do you remember when Matthew Fox posted that tweet about people that would register Levia for an event, right? <laughs> and I'm pretty sure... It was in Discord, actually. I'm pretty sure... Uh, someone printed it out and put it on their fucking sleeves when they played the new Leviar. I think it was, uh, but but the way he said it was like like you'll have to think about the time you wasted or, or I don't know what. It was an amazing copy pasta from <laughs> Matthew. Uh, yeah, uh, when you could have registered like any other deck, but you chose Leviar. That was so funny to me. That's intig in my opinion, right? Or um, I don't know. Yeah, people who would people who would bring like these 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 weaker decks, right? Even if they are specialists, but they knew that like most of their matchups were like bad or. Playing Bolton willingly into like an Icelander uh at the time. Or forcing Josh Lau to play Bolton into an Icelander on Goliath Gauntlet. Uh that was
0: fun. That was fun. <laughs> all right, here's a three Sorry, bro. Yeah, you're good. Here's a three pack. You could either choose all three or just choose the one that, that you want to use the most. Okay. D- dive, death ball, and poke.
1: Like, I mean, God, I mean, dive it feels like fire to me, right? It's like just an all in strategy. You just vomit your cards out onto the table for sure. Deadpool's Dromai in a Guardian matchup, for sure. She is just one mass of writhing dragons. That's what I think, like, you know, in Overwatch, it's like grouping up together, right? It's five and just like steamrolling every fight like that. And Poke is absolutely wizards throwing the zero for one arcanes at you, you know what I mean? Try and chip you down, and get you down to, you know, uh, wildfire range. I like it.
0: Yeah. no, that's it's like kind of like Kadachi's just at the end. It's this little poke, 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 little uh like three for seven leak one, leak one, kind of thing like yeah. that. Beauty, last one, c nine.
1: Uh, I you do people not want to see 90s? That, well that's, 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 that's this actually. is
0: this is your challenge because I'm tuning into the broadcast and I'm an okay. overwatch person and you want to say something, I'm like, oh, Mitch Leslie Uber is doing fab as an overwatch. Oh. Hey, I'm a I'm okay. a widow one trick and I, I want to hear it. something here. So
1: to see 90 is when you're going to win a round in Overwatch and you'd like for whatever reason you walk off the point. And basically in overtime in Overwatch at the end of a game, as soon as you walk off the point, the round ends and you lose. So sometimes we have seen teams accidentally maybe there's five players and one player's job is to stand on the point and they don't do it for whatever reason and they sort of lose the game. Oh my God. There are so... I mean, for me, in Fab, it's like missing obvious lethal, right? That's like, that's got to be it to me. It's like, you are in a position to win the game. You should win the game. You deterministically, deterministically rather have a victory uh, and and then you get done. Or it could be like, yeah, uh, a Bravo drawing a non-popper hand up against a Droma in the late game where like he's favoured and he's doing well, he's putting pressure down, but he can't stop like 12 Ashwings and he just dies.
0: I feel like to me the C nine would be like you're you're facing off. It's like I know, I know you have you just flipped the rain razors in Arsenal. You showed me the 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 cards. I know it's there, but I didn't block enough. Like it's, I, and I and I lost his snaps.
1: it. It's forgetting your snaps. What forgetting about... to activate Snapdragon Scalers as an attack reaction. Oh,
0: be that's that's C ing yeah. for sure. It's like, oh, yeah. I have lethal. Okay, move to move to reactions. Any reactions? Nope. Well, that's... I got no, I got no defense reactions, and that's the end of the story. And it's like, wait, <laughs> wait, it comes back to me. No, we're done. Like that's kind of it. No, that's a perfect one. Yes, forgetting to call Snaps yeah. as an as the initial attack reaction. In that's apo- why you
1: get refraction bolted, by the way, because you don't have to do it in reactions.
0: <laughs> oh man. Um, I want to kind of wrap this up. There's a lot more I wanted to talk about. Um, mm. Dorinthia, you know, Olympian, Kasai, Warriors. You being a one trick, you already answered that. Uh, I am.
1: I love Dorinthia. She, I fucking love her. I'm, and I'll be honest with you, I'm just not that great a player. But Dorinthia forces me to learn what everyone else does. It's actually a great way to to learn flesh and blood. I feel is by playing a mid range deck because you have to respect every opponent because I I lost to an Arachne the other day. Let's straight up. That, 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 that shit's nasty right now, by the way. But when you when you go into mid-range, right, you start thinking about value, when you start thinking about where your opponent's power turns come from. And in my experience playing Doria, I really do think it's helped me understand a lot of the game because when I used to play Briar, I just didn't care. I just vomited my hand over and over and over again. Okay, maybe not entirely, but you know what I mean? Like you are just trying to like outrace them, right? So yes, I love Dorinthia. I love the mid-range style and I really love having to know what my opponent does. It's a deck that really rewards like daddy
0: it's a good deck. I mean, the warrior got a bunch of new toys. Everybody's talking about Kasai. She's kind of got the spotlight right now. And then Dorinthia's just in the corner, being like, "Yeah, we get some goodies too," which is great.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, like people have said they feel like Kasai feels like Icelander, right? And I, I get it because it's a fucking mid range deck. It's like because like I guess people were only playing Icelander, like the only mid range deck to play during Icelander's meta was her. But yeah, it's called blocking with two cards and sending like a, a two card seven. That's kind of what Kasai does, right? Block with two cards, like pitch Blade Runner, swing, swing, bam so yeah mid-range guys it's been a thing for a while
0: <laughs> i mean that's the poke right that's the poke right there um all right so i, I did want to get a little bit into the vol- like like uh, just call the volatility of the industry because like we mentioned at the top of the show is the fact that there's a lot of games now and opportunities that are are kind of dwindling and the fact that you know be it from other genres of game like fps into card games there's also card games themselves that are kind of just evaporating you know uh, room terra's gone and that was a massive massive blow because that was probably uh critically and just from a success standpoint it was it had a great player base it had a lot of fanfare it had a lot of passion behind it and it was backed by an incredibly strong entity that is you know riot and and ultimately poof it's gone it's just randomly disappeared from a competitive standpoint in favor of pve and things like that now the industry seems to be shifting away from digital back to paper to a degree um do you feel like this might be next on the chopping block what kind of levels of confidence do you have in card gaming itself uh from from esports perspective from a presentation perspective
1: yeah, I th- thankfully, I think that for the most part, card gaming is inoculated from the issues in the gaming industry at the moment. But they're not—they're not free from like experiencing the effects of economic downturn. Uh, gaming um, and, and like card games, right? They're all discretionary expenditure, so they tend to suffer more when the overall economy is is weaker, and they tend to do better when the overall economy is better. It's like comparing like an Apple stock to the S and P five hundred. We use a term in financial markets called beta, right? It's a measure of how well the stock does compared to the overall market. And like some stocks, discretionary ones, especially, go up when the market goes up, but even more so. They go down when the market goes down, but even more so, right? They're volatile, uh, and you used that word earlier on. Um, In esports and in gaming in general, like Legend of Runeterra's only flaw is that it was attached to a game developer. Uh, I guess it wasn't in in person. Um, I don't think that the game was good, and I thought the economy was really fair. I think that was it was a it's undoing. I don't think that Riot were able to monetize that that game effectively. And frankly, they were taking development resources away from other games to to keep that game going. I think the Path of Champions probably ended up being one of the, the most popular part of that game, which is not well monetized, right? You don't have to own the fucking cards for Christ's sake. Like hello. Yeah, because it's a roguelike deck builder and they slap. They're fucking awesome. But that wasn't their business model. Their business models make money off of the capsules and people trying to play competitively, but that was not the, the what people really wanted out of that game by and large. So, um, and it was a great game. You know, esports a great example. Overwatch, the Overwatch League is is done because um the way that the economics around the league were projected to be were completely overblown. Like it was really a lot of snake oil, it was sold, and it was the purpose of this. Maybe it was people actually believed that it would do so well, they believed they could create something in new media or new entertainment that was akin to the NFL, right? There are a lot of issues with that, but crucially, their projections financially were way off base and they couldn't account for the impact of the pandemic. So what happened was all the team owners in the Overwatch League, they paid very large premiums to to get a slot in this franchise league and they never saw a return on their money because the Overwatch League, to use that as an example, were never able to monetize and gain revenue that would then be shared amongst those stakeholders and people that own those franchise slots. And so the league wasn't making money off concessions, off microtransactions, ticket sales, yada, yada, yada. They, they just didn't have a model that worked because consumers weren't behaving in the way they thought they would. The average spend of, of an esports consumer, right, is like 10% of a sports consumer. So they look at like the the spend on like, you know, uh, sports merch, right? for like a sports fan, and then look at like, you know, the, the spend on like esports merch, from, right? And this is a little apples to oranges, because maybe you don't care much about wearing the jersey, maybe you want the in-game skin, right? But it was yeah a factor of 10 different. So people in esports spend less money. It's got a lot to do with the the target market 18 to 35s have more disposable income than they used to, but not during the fucking pandemic when most of them were out of jobs. The average baseball view is 59. They have much larger incomes and are willing to spend much more in that discretionary sense on things that are ancillary to the game itself so the model was just projected completely incorrectly i want to say on the other side though we're in a tcg renaissance like if your if your game is just incredibly good like flesh and blood or it is a fantastic and hyped ip like one piece for example People will play. People want to play card games right now. And I suspect that after the pandemic, people really wanted to gather again in person and play these games. Um, I don't think we'll ever truly understand, not within this generation, the impact of that pandemic uh, that it had on us as, as, uh, you know, because there have been a lot of issues that have been created by that isolation that many of us had to endure. I think that coming out of that, people were really willing to get down and play. And card games all of a sudden started to really pop off again as people were like, oh, I'm going to get out, meet my friends, do this in person, right? Um, so I don't feel bad. I, I'm not worried about the future of Flesh and Blood, for example. Their financials look great. Uh, I think they really have stuck to their core values and ethos. You know, games like One Piece, you can kind of poop on the desk in front of you and you'd, you'd still you'd still eat it up with a knife and fork, right? I think they the IP is so strong. And I think if you have a great system or a great IP, you're in great shape. If you have both, you are going to dominate the market. And that's what we're seeing from them. So gaming is in a weird spot right now. And game developers at large are mass laid off, right? Because all of these all of these game developers have had to shrink down because the spike we saw in, in game engagement during the pandemic has dipped off as people have gotten the fuck outside, maybe to play, you know, TCGs. Um, and the way that like companies, the, the, sort of the hiring cycles for companies that they swell hugely before the release, especially in publishing. And then they lay a lot of these people off and throughout the life cycle of a game. But also the way the games are monetized and sold is changing drastically. Right? I could go on for the, about this for hours. We used to buy a box, a $100 box, so we buy the game and then we buy the same game the next year and the next year. Now games are live service. So you can buy the game once and then just play it forever. Maybe you want to, you know, buy microtransactions or battle passes, but like... The gaming industry is constantly trying to iterate on these sort of designs in order to make games that that make sense to make from a monetary perspective and not many do. That's why so many are shutting down right now. We're still feeling the the impact of the pandemic and dealing with inflation and a lot of things like that and the gaming industry has to adapt and esports is affected by that heavily. Um, You know, Riot, Microsoft, Activision Blizzard, like layoffs in all departments. The Activision Blizzard esports team was laid off from like 60 to four people, right? Like huge layoffs at Riot, like it's not over yet either so it's a bit you know scary being someone who requires a healthy esports ecosystem to find work consistently and i will say that like i've my hip pocket has felt the that that impact quite quite substantially but i'm glad to say that you know i'm still able to get by and keep the kids fed and keep doing what i love doing so as long as that makes sense i'll keep doing it
0: it's a good outlook at least uh passion's a, a brilliant driving force frankly i mean a lot of us have to just lean on that because you know at the end of the day you're like i could be making so much more money like mining coal or something for christ's yeah. sake but like here I can we go are back
1: and be an engineer you know i could just go and do that but i don't oh, really must want be to. nice yeah.
0: i can go back and be a sandwich artist at subway <laughs> perfect
1: yeah <laughs> it's all the way, well, not always about looking back you know you can look forward as well and make Man, more money
0: that's that's the way to go mitch I really appreciate you doing the show. You're always um, an insightful and articulate voice, if not animated and and very, very well experienced. So just sharing that wisdom is always exciting for for me personally. I don't give a shit about the viewers. This was purely for me, man. This was purely for me.
1: (laughs) Thanks, man. It's great to be here, man. Always a a fun time. And you're welcome for demonetizing a video like 17 times throughout the episode. Um, Yeah, good luck. Enjoy that ramen, that instant ramen. It's delicious. It is. That's Your income stream. <laughs> yeah,
0: what income stream? That's yeah. That's the <laughs> yeah. problem. Uh, I do want to also shout out to the uh, to our our sponsors, of course, the Realm Games. Go to therealmgamingnetwork.com, and we've got another ten dollars of giveaway for somebody who wants to comment in this video. Tell me tell me personally what is your favorite moment from a caster on one of a flesh and blood broadcast it could be something funny they said it could just be a really cool call that they made it could be a mess up
1: which is probably mine. Points if it's from the goliath gauntlet
0: oh definitely if you give us goliath gauntlet you're automatically winning uh, if you tell us <laughs> if you don't even remember what that is um so again also we do have our tier three patreon rapid fire go again segment mitch i'm locking you in for that you have nowhere yep. to go too bad all
1: right we're doing so- it
0: Friends, thank you so much again for tuning in to our Patreon subscribers. Again, to the Realm Games, please be kind to one another. Don't forget, you are not losing if you're learning. See you next time on ISP. Bye.